This episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest's best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I personally always make a stop at Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle. Uh, they're a great bunch of guys, and it's just not a complete Seattle trip unless I go and say hi and see what uh, wonderful stuff they have. These are real people offering real service, folks. Uh, use code ANTIHEROES10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com and tell them I sent you. Folks, and welcome to the Anti-Heroes Podcast with your host, Zach Blair. I am Zach Blair. Hey there, how you doing? You know, I haven't done this in a while, but I'm just going to give you a rundown of what this show is, if this is your first time listening. What this show is, is me interviewing guitar players I like, guitar players that I'm interested in, guitar players that I think are doing something cool and creative and bringing their own voice to the conversation. This congested conversation that we've been having with the electric guitar over the last uh, several decades, adding their own contribution, saying something, bringing something to the table. You know, I, I feel like the same guys kind of get lauded for their their input. And, and uh, you know, I love those guys too. I love the guitar heroes, the guys that are celebrated and lauded. But I've always been interested, a little more interested in the guys that aren't getting as much recognition and that aren't getting as much praise, but they still do it because they have to do it. They're compelled to do it. They are artists. They have something to say, and they're going to say it no matter who's listening, how many people are listening. Or, you know, we've had people on here that have a lot of people listening, and they're still carving out their own sort of corner of, of the world here. So now that I have that out of the way, uh, you know, if this is your first time, then hopefully you didn't just turn this podcast off and you're still with me and you're still listening. Today is family. I've had a few of these episodes. I had my brother on, I had the guys in the riverboat gamblers. Um, and today is joining right, right along with those folks in my life. This is Mr. Tim Racklerath from the band that I'm in, Rise Against. This is a very special one. It's a very uh, near and dear to my own heart because this is my partner. You know, this is the guy that I check in on, with on a daily basis that I make music with and I play guitar with. Most importantly, we have this vernacular and this ongoing conversation that I don't share with at this point anyone else, and. I'm very proud of our guitar partnership, as I coined the phrase guitarnership, guitarner, guitarner. Anyway, and I'm very, I'm very proud of it, and I and I'm very I hold it very near and dear to my heart. My relationship with this guy, I also love him as a human being. He's a great, great person, and also a great friend. And you know, it's funny because him and I don't really, as we talk about, we don't really uh, analyze what we do. We just do it. You know, we just we both have specific voices on the instrument and we've grown to sort of uh know each other's styles over the last 17 years how could you not and we know we, what each other is good at so it's just an unspoken thing you're going to do that i'm going to do this but we haven't really anal analyzed that much or dissected it much uh i guess maybe in fear of ruining what makes it special but we get to do that here and i was really happy that we got to do that here i'm really proud of this episode tim's a guy that he doesn't want to ruin the magic, as you'll you'll hear. He doesn't want to 
analyze too much of what's going on. He doesn't want to get too in the weeds with gear. He wants to, as you hear him say, he just doesn't want it to sound shitty. You know, he knows the things he likes. He knows how to get good sounds out of those things. And he carries on. He's a true artist. He's a true songwriter, singer, guitar player. But, you know, I don't, didn't say it too much in this interview, but Tim's not merely a guy that just picked up guitar and, and filled a void of rhythm guitar in a band because it needed to be filled. And rather than adding another member to play guitar, he just started doing himself. Tim is a guitar player. Tim has a voice on the electric guitar, and I'm a big, big fan of that voice and uh, of his playing. And again, I'm just really, really happy and thankful that I get to play guitar with this guy, man. I get to show up every day and stand next to him and play guitar for you folks, hopefully. Uh, I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to let you hear my conversation with Tim McElrath. Doing, buddy. You know, I, I, I'm gonna have to do this one the way I've done, like with my brother or with the gambler guys, uh-huh. um, and and pretend that I don't know all of these answers. <laughs> okay. I mean, because I know where you live, and I live there that, too. That sounded kind of threatening. Just it's now. I know where you live, and I'll come <laughs> by, and I'll set your fucking house on fire. You know, um, <laughs> it's, already, it's already been on fire once. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Just bring, we it about that. bring it on. All right. Um, but, uh, you know, we've commiserated for 17 years and talked about everything there is under the sun. So I, I know these answers and, and you know what I'm going to ask, but we'll get dorky. And yeah. I know you, you're your, a guy. Your, listener, your listeners don't, right? So we will no, they do don't. this with the listeners in mind. We'll keep inside jokes out of it. Right. We'll like, I mean, maybe, tune out. maybe, or we'll just completely, we'll screw this whole thing up yeah. and then you'll have to erase it. And then we'll yeah. have to start over again tomorrow or something. Well, again, I know where you live, so I'll track. <laughs> I, mean, I said you, but I mean, I meant like I'll screw this whole thing up. <laughs> so. You're an old pro at this. You're an old pro, and yeah. and we're an old and we're all pros at talking about detailed <laughs> bullshit. It's uh, <laughs> fucking horseshit. So um, I'll just start. Like, how did you? And I know the answer. How did you start playing guitar? Oh, okay. Um, geez, it would have been like junior high, maybe like sixth or seventh grade, which for me would have been like 91, mm-hmm. maybe, 1990, 91. So this is like probably the era as like glam metal was starting to fade a little bit, like late 80s, you know, and then it was starting to get replaced by like grunge and, and that kind of thing that was getting on the air. I, right. older, I had older sisters, their music was more like, I was, it was glam metal. I heard like Motley Crue from them. I heard like Guns N' Roses from them. And I found my way into like Metallica and like heavier stuff like that. Yeah. And then got into punk around that time too, just because it's like as the grunge world was coming into like punk was like happening in its peripheral as well. And I just wanted to, I was like, I heard this music and I just wanted to play guitar. I heard these bands. I think it was like, minor threat made me want to play guitar you know like yeah. hearing that like super like 
ferocious and feral guitar tone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so I was still a kid. I was like 13 probably. And I, so I'm turning to my parents and I was like, I want to learn how to play guitar. And they were supportive and they ended up, they didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. It's like before internet. I ended up one of those like group classical guitar classes, like classical oh, wow. nylon, nylon string, mm -hmm. where they're just like teaching you like Eleanor Rigby, you know, or something. Yeah. My mom's like dropped me off at the, at the place. And I knew that wasn't my thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But at that point, you don't even know what like distortion is. You don't know what creates it. Sure. You know? You're sure. Like, like, I'm like, why does this not sound like Black Flag? You know, what's <laughs> happening here? <laughs> you know? And then eventually, um, just kind of kept playing on my own, figured out like power chords. And then um, got into my first electric guitar, which happened to be, I was visiting a friend in Indiana and he had a guitar in his closet. That he, that he had tried to learn and, and then gave up on it. He sold it to me for 30 bucks and it was an electric guitar. It was, I found out years later, it was a 1951 Kalamazoo. Whoa. Oh, hey, right. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like pre Gibson, you know, sure. it's this white, like Stratocaster kind of body with a matching amp and then like the coiled up cable, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. That whole thing. And that was my first time playing an electric guitar. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. And then even that amp, like when you turned it up, had a little bit of distortion to it. And then I was just off to the races. I was just like in my basement, just like woodshed, like trying to yeah. recreate my favorite bands. I may, I bet, hey, we've talked about that guitar before and I bet it's worth money. I mean, actually, I know it's worth money. Um, I remember there was a Kalamazoo SG style guitar in the like local pawn shop that I wanted real bad when I was younger. But yeah, those are worth quite a bit of money. Do you still have that? Somewhere, I would say that your friend Tim didn't treat it with the utmost respect. So right. if it was worth money, <laughs> I, I, it's probably not anymore. It was, it was, it's a very like cheaply made guitar. It's one of those almost like Sears brand kind of guitars. You know? Yeah. It's some, it's small body. I actually left it. Uh, Neil Hennessy, you know Neil. Oh yeah. From the Lawrence Arms and Joyce Manor and Sparta and countless Shouts. other projects. Shout, Shout out, out to Neil. Shout out to Neil. Well, Neil and I have been best friends since we were like 16 years old. And we did our first band together. Yeah. We taught each other how to play, that kind of thing. And I remember leaving that guitar at his house after I upgraded to like an SG, my uh, 82 SG. And then that guitar disappeared for like 15 years. I kind of forgotten about it, kind of gave up on it. His parents moved after um, we graduated high school. And he gave it, he brought it to me on my... On my 30th birthday, I think it was my 30th birthday, he brought me the guitar. He found it like in his parents' Whoa. basement. They had moved to like Wisconsin or something. And he had just found the guitar. We thought it was like long lost. And it was like this amazing present. It was like, holy crap, this guitar from my past. I think I remember that. I remember you mm -hmm. telling me that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's cool. I don't know where it is actually at the moment, but you're right. I should probably locate it. But Well, and you know, the thing about your guitar playing is very interesting to me. And, and I've done a deep dive in your guitar player, of course, as we kind of have. Whether you wanted to or not. You've no, been I mean. In, I, in, in, I, the, in the peripheral of it for far too long. <laughs> and I very much wanted to. And, and, and I think like we've had to study each other's thing, you know, because we are. Yeah. And I've trademarked this phrase, a guitartnership. I love copyright. Copyright. Copyright Z Blair. Copyright yeah. Z Blair. Guitartnership. And, and the thing about your playing, and it's so fascinating, is that no matter what you think it is, there's always something else going on. 
when I joined the band, I thought I had a lock. And I realized if it was one of your riffs, it was always something else. And I had never met, I mean, my ear had never failed me so much. You know what I mean? And that's the one thing about your playing that I think is so fascinating and interesting. There's always something else going on, whether it's your background with like acoustic guitar playing or whatever it might be, where you usually have a sort of melody line happening within the riff. And so it's not just a bar chord. That's the thing about Rise Against when people like have been fans of ours and maybe they're a guitar player. I'll always tell them it's not just a bar chord. It's never just a bar chord, really. You know, take the riff to the violence, for instance, the riff to mm. survive. It's never a bar, just a bar chord. And and I that's intrinsic to your style and your guitar playing. And it's always I've always been such a fan of that. Do you know where that sort of um, that kind of came in with you? Maybe those influences you pulled from? Oh, uh, well, thank you for saying that. Um, that's, that's true. I, I think like I was always really drawn to just the sound and the tone and that's what's always motivated me to play or to write is just literally like what it sounds like. And I love playing, like cause I, I learned how to play guitar just by myself in my basement. Sure. But then when I started playing with a second guitar player, I loved the idea that you got that we could play complementary things that then right. turned the sound into something that was like, made you feel a certain way, like had this depth right. to it. And it, it was something that, I was always, always to this day, way more concerned with like how it makes you feel than anything else. Like, how does that tone like make you feel? And how, like, how does a guitar make you feel anything at all? Like, it's kind of incredible. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's like this voice. And so I think, I don't know. I think that my guitar playing was always inspired by developing that sort of tone that we could create together. So like you said, like we're rarely just playing a guitar, a power chord, but if one of us are playing a power chord, then the other guy's playing something else. So, right. and then it creates this sound that you're like, what is that even? Like, how are they making that? You know, or, or if it's not even something that's like asking you or making you ask questions how they did it, it's at least making you feel a certain way. You know what sure. I mean? So, and sure. I think that's what's given rise against like its sound is that we're like, we're not just playing, like, we, in its essence, it's just very simple, like three, four chord punk and pop kind of like sure. structures, you know? Sure. But then, like any band, you add your own little flavor to it, and all of a sudden, it gives it this different feel, and it pulls you in this different direction, and it's right. changes your. It makes your sound like a little bit unique. And I've loved that interplay between like your guitar playing and my guitar playing because we sort of we go out there and we're like, hey, if you're doing this, I'm going to do this. Like if you're right. if you're doing something low and heavy, I'm going to do something higher. So it kind of like fills in the gaps there. And then you have the, and then it creates this kind of wall of sound. Well, and almost like it's almost like an earn your keep thing too. It's because why would we play the same thing? We're standing right next right. to each other. It might just sound louder, but <laughs> but but why not utilize the sort of you know musicality of this whole thing? I could be doing something completely different. And I've said this a bunch on this podcast when I've talked to other people that are in guitar partnerships, guitar partnerships. That, <laughs> I read an interview a long time ago with uh, Bob Weir of all people from the Grateful Dead. And he, he used a phrase that him and, and Jerry Garcia were always weaving. And, yeah. and that, that was a great way to explain what you and me do as well. If it's a part where you're playing a bar chord, I am almost playing a lead guitar solo and vice versa. We're always doing that. And then if somebody asks me how to play a song of ours, well, it's like, shit, I can show you my side of it. Right. But I don't, a lot of times I don't know your side of it. That's and, and, you That's know, so true. That's so tr it's it's so true because 
I don't know how to play <laughs> a lot of our songs. Me like, neither. For example, Prayer of the Refugee, right? right? I don't really know the the rhythm of the verses. You know what I mean? Right, right. I think it was only until we did like the ghost note stuff or if I'd been asked to do like an acoustic version of it, I had to figure it out. And And bear in mind, like I wrote those parts but like sure. for the last like 15 years, I've just done the while you guys do the uh, rhythm. And so it's, it's slowly eked its way out of my brain to the point yeah. where I'm like, man, I think I know it, but I don't really, I don't really know it. You know, yeah. like you said, we just, we sort of, we've divvied up our parts, you know? And then and it's like, and, and like you said, like, if it's like, if I'm holding down a power cord, something really low, it's like, I'm already doing it. We don't need it. We don't need two guys to do it sometimes you do sometimes it's like it's cool sure. i want to like emphasize it otherwise sure. like yo dude i got this so actually you can go do whatever you want to do right now yeah you can you know, you know have a have a smoke okay. uh, <laughs> well that's the yeah. truth though and even now with with writing you know we're working on new stuff it's like there's been times when it's like i'm just gonna cut out and not do anything i'm not even gonna make make a noise over here you totally know? and i know i'm a broken record because you've been stuck in a bay on me for so long but like sometimes the the most important thing that you play in a song is a thing that you don't play at all. Absolutely. Is like is choosing to like back out and be like, because your absence creates a dynamic. Absolutely. You know? Not everyone needs we, to be playing. If you don't feel compelled to play something, don't just fill the space to fill the space, you know? But mm -hmm. especially like our dynamic, our dynamic is not so different than like the, the loud, quiet, loud that we talk about, which is sure. what, the Pixies named their documentary, which yeah. is, came from how Kurt Cobain described the Pixies sound. He called the Pixies like loud, quiet, loud, you know? Yeah. And yeah. then, and you could see in Nirvana's writing how that influenced him, you know, like the Nirvana's biggest songs are, are loud, quiet, loud, you know? Yeah. And I've always been a, like worshiped at that altar, you know? Sure. And so songs like, you know, Prayer of the Refugee, um, are go like loud, quiet, loud. But if to achieve that dynamic, maybe someone's got to stop playing yeah. in the verses. And, and like what that, that does is that it, it comes back in that much heavier in the right. in the choruses. Choruses that much bigger. If everyone's playing, and the chorus just kind of like you know floats its way yeah. in. Because if you watch your eyes against you, you'll watch me not playing in a lot of the verses. Absolutely. Or if I am playing, it's just like a single note, it's something ambient, you know. Because yeah. I love coming in with you guys in the chorus, and all of a sudden it's like pow like we just push some button yeah or even holding holding a note out right you know shitting on on the ones just boom mm. you know yeah we do that quite a bit and and it's it's really interesting once i was i was thinking about because i don't think about you and i don't think about what we do so much we just do it it is right right it is we are a lot in life we are the guitar players and rise against mm -hmm. and very lucky to be so and but it's not something I, I give a lot of thought it's like um eating or sleeping or whatever you know i play in guitar with you in a band and when i do think about it it is interesting that like you know I, i've never played the intro riff to savior our biggest song you know right and and i kind of like that in a weird way you know what yeah, i mean yeah. I, I like yeah. that we have our roles and I like that we service at different parts in our band. But, you know, when I first joined the band, there was, you know, more and more, you have sort of slowly started playing more guitar live and, and, and on records during my tenure with the band, which has been 17 years now, which is fucking crazy. Um, mm. 
And I always thought once, once when I got in, I always thought, why isn't this guy playing guitar a lot more? And I know it's because we are in a punk band and, you know, there's some songs that you sort of sing. Was that a concerted effort on your part to, to sort of start playing guitar more because you wanted to, or is it just because of the songs you started writing? I mean, it happened organically. Like uh, the bands I played in before Rise Against, I was always a guitar player uh, and a singer. I had never been just a singer. I never like just walked out onto a stage with a microphone. That was right. a foreign concept to me. It was something that was like, took me a minute to like even wrap my head around, you know, yeah, like yeah. ask anybody who plays a guitar, like ask them to take that guitar off and go to a microphone. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's uncomfortable. The guitar, yeah. you can kind of hide behind a guitar, you know, like just a singer. It sounded so like Axl Rose to me. <laughs> you know? I was just like, yeah. what am I going to do? Put a scarf on my, Mike stand here and dance around like what, yes. what do you do here you know answer yes <laughs> yeah and that said I mean obviously there's so many great hardcore singers that are just singers you know Henry Rollins is not Axl Rose neither is Ian McKay you know what I mean but like sure. the, but for me it just felt like well I'm also not Henry Rollins or Ian McKay and so but when the band first started it started with a batch of instrumental music that Joe had put together and so it didn't need a second guitar player you know it just needed yeah. like someone to sing over it and that was the what became the unraveling. And so I kind of put the guitar down and walked into this and wrote the vocals and the lyrics and put out our first record. I got signed to Fat Records. But I never lost that guitar player or that songwriter in me when I, when I started taking the microphone, you know? Yeah. And so when we dug into a second album, which would become um, Revolutions Per Minute, you know, I just had ideas bubbling up and I was like, what if we did this? What if we did this? You know? Mm -hmm. And then it became like, oh, Tim's going to play guitar on a handful of songs because he wrote songs that involved two guitar parts, like that dynamic that we were talking about. Sure. That, and that was like Heaven Knows was one of our first two guitar songs or um, I can't think like Torches, like a couple of those. But then yeah. I'd also play on like, like The Angel and that kind of thing. And then we became like a two guitar band, but I was only picking up the guitar for like three or four songs, like yeah. in that first time out with RPM, you know, because we were still doing mostly unraveling. A lot of RPM didn't need two guitars. So I'm only picking it up. But I had a model for that, which was Pegboy. Like I grew right. up watching Pegboy play and Larry would pull a guitar out just for a handful of songs. And so it doesn't seem that weird to me. It was like, I'll have the guitar here ready to go just for these few songs, the same way Pegboy would do it. And then slowly through those three or four songs, as, as we wrote more records, it just turned into five songs and then six songs and then seven songs. And then our good songs were two guitar songs, you know, a lot right. of them and are popular ones at least. And now it's to the point where we could do a whole set where I'm like, yeah. I'm playing guitar. It's very, it's rare to see me not on the guitar now, which is a full circle from 20 years ago when it was Absolutely. rare to see me on a guitar. So now people, I think, think of me as probably the guy who plays guitar and sings. And unless we right. play, I mean, what do I got? Give it all, collapse, chamber, like, you know, like yeah. stuff like that that rolls in there which doesn't not only doesn't need two guitars but there's such intricate punk songs that i don't think i would trust myself to play the guitar and sing along right. during uh, those songs singing at the same time would be so hard totally yeah and i like i came into it hesitantly as like just a front man you know but i came to enjoy it sure and i also enjoyed my ability to wrangle a crowd it was easier to do without a guitar sometimes Absolutely. Because I can, I can kind of stomp around that stage. I can get your attention. I can move yeah. around more and I can like 
if we're dealing, especially in the early days, you'd be dealing with crowds that like weren't having you. Yeah. I was, I had more freedom to kind of like, Hey, like I'm going to sell you on this band tonight. You know what right. I mean? You might not like us right now, but we got, we got 30 minutes and like seven songs to, <laughs> right. to convince you that, you know, and that was easier to do without being like, uh, shackled by a guitar, you know? And I still, yeah. I still like that dynamic. You know, I still like the, the times that I can just kind of jump out there and, uh, I don't know, engage with the crowd a little more, you know? Yeah. Well, it used to be a half and half. I mean, when I joined it used the to be band, half and half. Yeah. It was, right. it was half, half the set. You weren't singing, you, know, you weren't uh, playing guitar and now it's maybe a song or two, mm -hmm. maybe. Um, totally. But I'm, you know, I, I, I love, it's, it's weird to me when we go down to just the one guitar, it's fun. It's whatever. And right, I've yeah. been a, I've been a single guitar player many bands. I've been in guitar partnerships, but with this mm -hmm. one in particular, I like us. I like our thing. You know, it, it's, it's yeah. It, I like our thing too. It, it, there's more options to create that wall of sound that like absolutely that we're absolutely. that we're talking about. You know, yeah. And you know, you and I both are guys that we. There's that improvisational thing that happens in our band that you know you play things every fucking night that you do change things up and I love you know there's not a lot but there is mm -hmm. almost every night we are kind of you know like oh shit you know there's something that kind of happens between both of us that like I'm gonna keep that I'm gonna do it tomorrow night too because that was cool I love that yeah. I love that interplay you know mm -hmm. yeah for sure um, yeah we lay into we lay into parts like here and there or something yeah. like something stands out we're like oh it's cool or it's cool when you when you do this or I do this and you know, and then we do have our moments in between songs that we kind of extended. Yeah. Everybody a little bit of freedom to kind of like, all right, take a breath. The crowd takes a breath, you know, because we can be such a pummeling thing, you know, when we yeah. go on stage, where it's just like song after song after song. That it, I think it's good to have that space uh, in the songs Absolutely. for us and for the for the audience. I think that that's and for just like you said, a song you've played a million times, you know. Like, yeah, you got to got to switch it up. Throw a curveball in here, yeah. here and there. Which, you know. if, if, if any folks are listening that are coming to our shows in Australia with Blink-182, uh, we get to end our set now with a big, uh, like, a dual guitar jam. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. It's always fun. The old uh, Rise Against. Watch out. Yeah, you got to watch out Rise Against, boy. Let's get into, I know there's going to be an eye roll from you, but a little bit of gear. We won't get too dorky. <laughs> So my listeners, I'm going to paint a picture. So I was explaining, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I have my brother on here and I got in an argument with my brother about the aesthetics of a specific bass. I was explaining said argument to my guest here, Mr. Tim McElrath, and the eye roll, his, his face rolled, not just his <laughs> eye. And he basically was like, are you done talking yet? Um, <laughs> your visage changed and you were right. And you were correct because it doesn't fucking matter, but it does I'm to me. Sure, I'm sure, man. I'm glad that you know it more than I know it. So I don't have to know it. You know what I mean? It's for anybody who's in like a, a relationship, like a couple with a spouse yeah. or whatever. Like yeah. there are things that your spouse knows that you're like, okay, you know that, you know how to get to that place. I'm not yeah. even going to waste space in my brain. Right. Because if I'm on this stage, I'm next to you and you'll know it, you know, <laughs> but I do. When it comes to gear, I have like low gear IQ, as you know. <laughs> I plug in the same Marshall I've plugged in since I was like 16 years old and play an SG and I twiddle those knobs till it sounds palatable to me. And then it just start cranking away. And, I, and I'm you know fascinated what? by gear. You know what I mean? I'm always open to like someone showing me a better way to do things. And we've messed with pedals more the last few years. And I've always like, Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. And I've, yeah. I've, I've come to appreciate pedals 
more because they're like they can be windows to like different kinds of songwriting you know what i mean sure and sure. that's when my light bulb goes off where i'm like oh i didn't think about pedals like this to me they kind of seemed kind of dorky but like now i see them as like w ways to like uh you know i don't know like mine are no, no pedals you know what i mean so i was kind of like right. I, don't, I don't need them but Whenever we get yeah. into a studio, we're having fun. And all over the Rise Against Records that we've made most of them. And most of the guitar stuff we've made with Jason Livermore. Shout out yes. to Jason Livermore. Okay, shout out. Of the Blasting Room. Great engineer, producer. And um, maybe mostly known for his mixing abilities. Sure. Uh, uh, recent, recent Latin Grammy award winning mixer. Yeah. So, uh, Jason Livermore out. for a band called Molotov. Um. But he's got some high gear IQ. Yes, you know? he does. He does. And so he would always introduce us to different things, and that was always fun. And those albums that people listen to, there are effects on there. You know what I mean? And, that, and like, to the that, point of where, like, we would, you know, I would add some things to a pedal board to replicate some of those things. But some of those things we were doing our records, and you and me were so pedal adverse for so long, we just wouldn't address that sound live. We, we would just. You're right. We kind of, we kind of like relegated it to like a studio. Yeah. place and not like, like a live place and then slowly right. we've kind of come out of that and then we dumped a lot of it into the lap of our amazing guitar tech jeff bilson who texts both me and zach and has for a long time he's got to be yeah. if not our longest running crew member our second longest crew member absolutely um, and, and and man we would be lost without him we have been lost without him. we have been lost without him he's like yeah. yeah i don't want to do a show without jeff when he's there you know everything's gonna be okay but we kind of dumped all the effects stuff in his lap right? where he would actually implement them into the songs right. and stuff like that. Like, Hey, make this part sound like this. I don't want to push a button. I don't want to screw it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then Can he would do, do a lot of that too, but it's cool. And I think where it's also, it's, you know, we're evolving too. We as are a band going into like, you know, our 20 something year and then our 10th record. I feel like everything I'm saying is like making me sound super stodgy and averse to any kind of change. You know what I mean? And <laughs> that, and that may be a fair characterization of <laughs> me, well, um, well, but, thus, but thus, we're, we're generally open to like, mm -hmm. you know, a good idea is a good idea. A good sound is a good sound, you know? Absolutely. And I think thus far, maybe we have been a bit, we have been a bit adverse to change. And we're protective of like the sound right. and, and it like, has it's been working and it's been you know like let's be precious about this thing and not step mm -hmm. on it too much but i do like the fact that and i've talked about it on here as well that you know we are dipping our toe into amp profilers i i have been using an analog pedal board on stage um mm -hmm. that i've been adding to and taking away from you've been adding pedals live and and definitely in the studio and definitely in this writing process and we're even switching up our guitar choices in in certain places um but you know to go back a little bit you said this amp so you've one thing you and me had a co in common right away was that we both were lovers of the jcm 900 the marshall jcm 900 um yeah. when i first joined the band you guys had 2000s which mm. are still a sort of mainstay you and, and it was sort of the same reason as me i went to guitar center in the 90s and i bought a 900 that was the amp that was there that was that was you, there yeah that was what was there. Uh, you did that, and then you did it in the 2000s. It was a JCM 2000, and then that's that's what you've you got. The transition to the 2000 was also, I love the 900 and, I, and even the 800. And we started going places where we had to rent gear, like right. whether it was like a one-off radio show, a festival somewhere. And the 800s were impossible to find, to rent, or we, at least we couldn't find them. And 900s were also hard to find. And you'd end up with a 2000. 
You know what I mean? They were, right. they were at that point, especially probably like, I don't know, mid two thousands, you know, whatever they were, that was the most available head. And so I think by default, we're like, all right, that's fine. We'll just play a 2000. Yeah. And then we started playing two thousands a lot more. Cause it was like, well, if we're going to end up with this head renting it in Europe or Australia or wherever, I might as well get really used to it. You know what I mean? Right. And, and dial it in the way I want it to sound. And next thing you know, we had tons of 2000s, <laughs> you know, just kind of like, <laughs> yeah. they were just really easy to, we did, we, they were easy to, to, to get, you know what I mean? Right. Or get a replacement right. of, and, and they weren't fickle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like an old 800 is kind of fickle and overheats and doesn't travel well sometimes, you know? Um, but I, I think it was after the end game record, you and me both made a concerted effort to like go back to 900s and we started using 900s and we sent the 2000s home. Cause I remember those were like, there was four 2000s when I joined Rise Against and we just, mm. you've already said it was like, I, I jumped onto a moving like merry-go-round, you know, it just, I, yeah. it just kept going. And I think at a certain point we were like, let's just be 900s. And we, we were both using those for quite a while and shit. I mean, still, and then I have my hot rodded JMP that I've had forever. But yeah. uh, you have always been able to walk up to no matter what amp and dial in your tone. And I, for the life of me, and it's it's a true testament to like tone is in the hands. You sound like you no matter what, no matter what. There's a mid-range thing that happens with the way you play a guitar. And you could be on any amp on, on any fucking guitar. And I can't do it. I cannot make my amp sound the way you make your sound. And you can walk up to every amp and go, and it sounds like you. It's fucking crazy. And I've, I've always been, I, I think it's just in your goddamn fingers. It's it's impressive. I think there's something, well, thank you. But I think there's something to that, like something that's just the way, the way you play. You know what I mean? The way you yeah. feel, the way you like, we crank that chord out. You know what I mean? Like the amount of pressure you squeeze into the to the, the neck, you know, that kind of thing. I, I, and I don't, I don't have an exact science to any of that, but um, I think we were talking to Chris Hanna from Propagandi and someone was asking him like, what kind of, what kind of guitar tone like do you go for? And his answer was not shitty. <laughs> 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 and to me, for some reason, it made so much sense to me. Like yeah. I'm just turning those knobs till it's not shitty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and as, soon, and as soon as it's not shitty, it's like, all right, yeah, this is great. Let's, let's move on, you know? And it and it really reduces like, you know, to each their own and their own thing. But I've always wanted to be the guy that's in the middle. Like I want to know just enough about all this stuff, but I don't want to want too much because that gets, A, it takes the fun and the fancy out of all of it. Mm -hmm. And and B, you, I know I, I can go ad nauseum about this shit, but it is a, it is an eye roll. I get the eye roll. And when somebody knows way too much, like a fuses and tubes and, you know, mm -hmm. diodes and, you know, how much wattage and all that, that's when I glaze over, you know? So I, I don't want to know that much. And I also don't want to be that kind of a virtuoso guy either. I want to be, I still want to have an ignorance to it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's easy to get lost in it. Yeah. And it go is. down a rabbit hole. And maybe the rabbit hole is your end, like the means to the end. I mean, maybe the rabbit hole is what you enjoy if you're that kind of sure. like collector player. And if that is like, like god bless you you know what i mean like go for it you know i have one of my best friends like is, collects the weirdest guitars you know what i mean and like yeah. loves it and he's always telling me i got this crazy custom shop you know whatever and it looks to him like that thing is nonsense dude but yeah. if it makes you happy like <laughs> go for it for me right. i walk into it like i'm like 
I'm like, what can I, it's more like, what can I do with this guitar? It's like, like, you know, I think we were talking to Morello, Tom Morello at one point and, um, I share his philosophy. He played, I think he was telling us this whole story of his, uh, arm, the homeless guitar. And, um, you know more about it than I do. It was like, uh, I forget what model it was, but it doesn't even have a brand name on it, you know? Yeah. It was and, it's um, a company out of LA that it was like these guys that made kind of shredder guitars for shredder players called performance. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so we were talking about guitars, how many, someone was asking him how many guitars he has and et cetera, et cetera. And I remember him kind of stopping the person and just being like, you know, it doesn't matter how many guitars I have. It doesn't even matter how nice of a guitar that I own. The guitar that I play, like, is not considered like a top of the line guitar. Like, it matters what you do with it, you know? Yeah. And he was like, at some point, I wanted to stop upgrading and doing, going, trying something and just sit down with this, this instrument and just play it and make it work for me. Yeah. And then write what he would go on to write the best songs of our generation. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. generation defining songs. And I was like, that's so great. And such good advice for people who are like, on this never ending search for the perfect guitar, which is a fun, you know, search to be on and you shouldn't close that door. But at the same time, if you want, just play, play the damn instrument. You know what I mean? Yeah. Play what you got. You can, right. some of the greatest songs people ever heard were written on, you know, some of the, some of the shittiest equipment you ever heard of also. You know what well, I mean? Truth, because before Morello, it was, I've always said Tom Morello was the Eddie Van Halen of our generation. And it was, there was Eddie Van Halen before him who used a guitar called Frankenstein that was just pieces of other guitars that he put together and he just stopped right. fucking with it one day and reinvented rock and roll music with this thing. It had holes drilled in it and it was, you know, it was totally. a, a, to anybody else, it would have been a piece of shit that probably would have been thrown in the garbage, you know? Totally. Yeah. It's like, and that you said it perfect. Stop fucking with it. Play it. You right. know what I mean? Just plug right. it in and play it. If that's what you want to do, if that's your goal, is to like write songs and like you know communicate your thing to people. Like just yeah. play the damn guitar. You don't need to have a, a a nice guitar, you know. Yeah, and you've always I mean, you you have always had that ethic, and it's uh, I've been on the other end of it. And then at certain times with like what would TM do? It's been like okay, wait, I'm getting in the weeds here. You know, even with like I'm a guy that in my spare time I want to take lessons and learn other styles and stuff, and yeah. forgetting that. And and I found with that you do get in that hole of like you start forgetting who you are because yeah. you're trying to learn this other thing. I'm like, wait, wait, I've got to remember what I actually do. You know, totally, yeah, yeah, and like, you know, always be learning and striving, and you know, don't. I'm not saying don't ever buy a new guitar. You know what I mean? But like try to be self-aware that you're not getting into the weeds and you're not focusing on the wrong things that you're not like, absolutely, you know, just getting lost in it. And, and like you said, forgetting like why you started playing and your identity. Like I still, that Kalamazoo was like my first, but the first guitar I connected with, which was the second guitar I ever owned was that 82 SG. And that's yeah. what I kind of spent my whole adolescence playing. You know, I, a, I didn't have any money to buy a, another instrument anyway, but B it was with me on all my first songs and my first bands and that kind of thing. And I've gone on to own, I don't know how many guitars I own, but I own a bunch. And, but I've gone back to playing that 82 SG. Isn't it on tour with us right now? Yeah, I think it's on tour with us right now. I kind of got it yeah. re, kind of fixed it up. You got me some nice pickups for it. Yeah. Um, Shouts out to Derek Duncan. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Who is a, a sponsor of this podcast. Oh, there you go. See, all yeah, get yeah. their pickups. Those pickups are amazing. I've, yeah, I, yeah. They even impressed the shop I took it to. Um, 
which is a uh, shout out to Chicago Music Exchange. Yeah. Uh, Phil over there takes care of a lot of my instruments. The ones that Bilston doesn't take care yeah. of because um, yeah. we live in different parts of the country. Super impressive pickups. But yeah, like that's what I, I look at it all. And like, here I am at 45 and like, I'm going to sit down today and play the guitar. I played at 16 years old when like that's in great. a basement with like Neil Hennessy, you know, just like. It's fucking cranking great. up our marshals and seeing how loud we can get and, and making yeah. them sound cool and, and starting this whole path, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I know this answer too. Uh, and I ask everybody, do you have one that got away one that got stolen? Anything, piece of gear, guitar. Oh. I'm pretty sure I know, I think a few of these, but you could have pawned it. You could have lost it. You could have gotten stolen. What are you thinking of? You, I can think of a few with you. Okay. Then you know I can more think than of, me. I can think of something that got broken. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and the, I can think of something, I, yeah. And I can think of something you got rid of. Okay, you tell, you tell me. Okay. The thing that got broken was your one-of-a-kind black hummingbird from Gibson. Yes. yes. And wasn't it a loading dock situation? Yeah, like it was all it was it was in like a real real deal flight case too. So for anybody who's out there thinking that we're amateurs just throwing acoustic guitars in the back of semi trucks, right. it was in like a like a real deal case. It had traveled around the world with us a lot, and then we pulled into Calgary to the Great Eagle Casino. Right, <laughs> that Calgary, Calgary. I think, I think yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah, uh, Calgary or Edmonton. Like I'm gonna screw it up anyway. <laughs> Somewhere in the tundra, and yeah, like. A lot of cases in the back of the semi had fallen, I think, either yeah. in the middle of the night or during the loading. And they all landed on on the guitar case that held my Gibson Hummingbird with no Hummingbird. It was all black. Right. It, was a, it was a custom made for, I think, for somebody else who didn't want it. And then I ended up with it. Great guitar. And the thing. And if people might remember because it said Occupy on it around the time right. of the Occupy Wall Street movement. That's right. And then it got smashed to fucking pieces. It Just got smashed pieces. to pieces. Oh, we actually so... left it at the casino that night. I think we did. We signed it, and then they hung it up on their wall, <laughs> just in pieces. Right. So it's still sitting there at the Gray Eagle Resort. That was it. Was heartbreaking. It's such. It was so beautiful. It was such a cool looking guitar. It was a cool. I, for, I forgot about that one. It was a cool looking yeah. guitar. And now I play. The Martin D35, which is my one with the Chicago flag sticker on it. Right. And then I also have a Martin Streetmaster, which has been really good, too. That guitar's great. Have you even seen my new, my new guild that I got? No. I didn't. You told me about it. I, oh, no, yeah. way. Or did I see it? No, I it's have not seen cool. it. It's pretty cool. It's like a 71 guild. Because I had the Gibson, I had the Jackson Brown Gibson. Right. That I wasn't falling in love with. And so... I right. saw this guild is really cool. I never played a guild before. So I, just aesthetically, I love the big headstock. I just think it's great. Yeah. You know? It's kind of a jumbo body too. Yeah. It's so. just, it's just Neil Young, you know, I went there to buy something else and then I played that one. It just sounded way I better. Always, and and, like my, and then my wife was with me and who she's not a guitar player, but she's just like a layman with ears. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. And she's like, that thing sounds better. Like, <laughs> which you kind of kind of trust because in the end that's all that matters right is someone Dude, totally. is how it hits somebody's ears who has no has no baggage with like the year yeah. and the model and the yeah. size of it or whatever they just like well this one sounds better than that one i'm gonna believe I, that opinion over anyone's really I, I was listening to an interview with a comedian saying um, is the audience ever wrong? Like it was an audience that wasn't liking his jokes. And he's like, is, it all, is the audience ever wrong? And you're right. 
the guy was like, no, like the audience is always right. If you can't make them laugh, it's your fault. You know, it's like you've done something. And we are tainted by this thing that we've been programmed. Like we, if you came to me with a Gibson Les Paul, I'm going to go, that sounds great. I'm going to be predetermined Mm -hmm. to say that sounds great. But a layman who doesn't know, they could go, well, that doesn't sound really good. Like we we have have, have baggage. We have like decades of baggage with brand names and years and exactly uh, uh, copies and imitations and the ones that are made in the USA versus made in Mexico versus made in wherever. Where what we need to be doing as guitar players is having like blind taste tests. Absolutely. I can totally agree with you. Totally. It's like, well, I'm playing uh, this Yamaha out of a Charvel head in a Jackson cabinet. (laughs) (laughs) Which some people might, some people might dismiss, but it's like, what if it sounds great? What if it sounds great? I, there, there used to be Charvel heads. There were. Yeah. The the reason I even said that was because that was, I think it was my buddy Jay Wood who played in my first band Baxter with Neil. With me, I think he had a Charvel like half, like the whole half stack, the head and the cab. And yeah. then Nick Neal bought it from him because Jay became our bass player. And then I want to say Chris McCoggin from the Lawrence Arms ended up playing it in the early days of the Lawrence Arms. And I swear I still see that Charvel cabinet at Lawrence Arms shows. <laughs> so it might still be floating around, but it's got an interesting tone to it. It has kind of like a little bit of a Mesa boogie. Yeah, uh, yeah, thing yeah. happening, you know. Yeah, like, I mean, like, you don't see them. I don't even know if that's still a company or anything. But that was like back in the day. You didn't have money to choose what you wanted, right? Um, there wasn't the internet either, it, so it was like you went to the guitar store. You probably couldn't afford the new shit. So whatever somebody had recently sold the pawn shop or the guitar place, you know, we didn't have we didn't have guitar center back in the day, you know. Yeah, um, we had a place called Guitar Plus in my town, actually. Um, which I think became a guitar center at some point. Probably. <laughs> but yeah, like you just bought the the used thing. Yeah, you know? and it was like and it was like whatever they had a deal on. Maybe they would have a floor full of like Charvel fucking half stacks or totally. or whatever. And that's guess what? That's what you were gonna get because they'd let them go for nothing. And that's yeah. why everybody had PV for so long, because PV was fucking ubiquitous. It was everywhere. Totally. You know? And like and that's why every band you started your PA was just your guitar player's first amp yep. he's not using anymore. <laughs> and yep. like a, a Radio Shack microphone because no one ever thought to buy a microphone and realized how we expensive to, they were. We need to do a Rise Against show with just cobbled together gear and one of us playing out of a PA. We need to you know do what, that. One of the coolest moments of my life it was when um, Prophets of Rage playing a lot of shows. So Prophets of Rage yep. was Morello and Brad and Timmy and then playing with Be Real and Chuck D, you know, all-star right. supergroup, doing Rage songs, then also some Cypress Hill songs, also Public Enemy songs, also some MC5 songs, some covers, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm going to the show in Chicago. They played the Big Shed, our Big Shed in Tinley Park. And I'm at dinner with my wife and some friends. We're going to go see. We're just going to go sit in the, the seats and watch the show. And Morello was like, hey, you want to come and sing a song tonight? And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, uh, I wasn't planning on this, you know what I mean? But like, okay, what, what yeah. do you got? Anyway, next thing you know, I'm in a rehearsal room in the back of this big shed. It's like one of the dressing rooms. Full practice amp setup, like what we're talking about. Like the, yeah, yeah. Like the PA was like like the crappy little PA you had when you were, you know, when you were 16. It's this little guitar amp, kind of like a probably a, a B-team drum set. But fucking Chuck D walks in 
V-Real walks in. Like, three-fourths yeah. of Rage Against the Machine walks in. And that was with Aaron Bruno from AWOL Nation, too. And next thing you know, we're just jamming an MC5 song all together on these, like, just right. these terrible little amp, like, bad PA. Yeah. And it was, like, one of those moments where, like, this was so cool. Like, that act- yeah. actually, that moment, jamming with those guys in that room, just, like, the seven of us or whatever, um, was cooler than going onto that stage later that night. Absolutely. It was like, just, I'm like, this feels so much like it did when I was 16 years old in my parents' basement, except I'm here with, like, the guys from Rage and, like, Public Enemy yeah. and, you know, Cypress Hill and, and Aaron from AWOL. Because now, how big this all gets or whatever we all get to do, and we've been so lucky, our band has had some success, and, and you know, we've been so lucky. It's still just getting into a room with some other guys and going, what do you got? Or let's work on this, or or let's play MC5. And it's that thing that we did when we were 14, that we're still mm-hmm. 14 as soon as that happens. That's why I love this. That's why I love we totally. do what we do. Um, I've, I've never, shortly after that, Chuck D tweeted, Tim from Rise Against is too dope. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. And I, I keep telling myself I'm going to find it and like frame it. Because that might be the coolest thing that you I ever want to like show should. my sixteen-year-old self. <laughs> you fucking should. By the way, super nice guy. By the way, just like such a amazing, yeah. just spirit of a person. Well, I remember we we played with some shows with him, and I was too afraid to talk to him, and then I did, and he was the intimidating nicest. guy. Fucking, yeah, intimidating absolutely. Guy. Yeah. He's Chuck D. He's, He's Chuck D. D. He's Chuck yeah. D. Well, buddy, I uh, I won't. We've, we're at forty five. I don't want to keep oh, okay. too much longer. But uh, I am so lucky to be in a guitar partnership with you. Yes, and uh, you know I love you, and 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 man, I love what we do, and I hope we keep. I love that you tour. get to talk about guitars on this whole thing. Have you learned like a ton just from like other yes, people? Absolutely. Like, you must. Be, your head must be spinning when you get off these things with people. Like, well, I play this, and you're like, I never even heard of that. It absolutely is. I can't tell you how much I Google when I'm done. Like, oh, what the fuck were they talking? You know, I do it and and I love it. And it's basically, you know, a lot of the times I get to talk to people that I know, but then there's people that I don't know that I kind of do know because, you know, because of this fraternity of this thing that we all do and and we've all gotten, you know, this rarefied air, we've gotten to breathe. And I've made so many friends. I've made so many friends on this podcast that like, you know, we'll be playing festivals this summer or whoever. And I'll be like, Oh, I know that guy now. And I can go over and say hi to their camp. And it, mm-hmm. it's, it's really just been so rewarding. You know, it's, it's weird to have something that's mine because rise has been such a bubble and it's such a, like you say, a, a Voltron, you know, it's, right, it's yeah, just, yeah. I'm in such a thing with three other people right. that we're, we kind of keep our heads down and we just keep pushing forward to have mm-hmm. something that is singular to me is, is also really interesting. And, and, weird to navigate but it's been yeah. rewarding well guitar enough. playing and especially in our genre is so cool because it's so different than other forms of playing music you know like yeah there's like no one you're i bet no one you're talking to has had formal training right in, in playing right. guitar it's just right. not an instrument that lends itself to formal training if you are somebody that's going to do formal training you you do violin you do piano you do whatever um, and those people are amazing to me by the way my daughter is a classically trained uh, violinist yeah. like it's incredible yep or what she can do, but they all go through the same training in the same school. And so they're, they all have the same words for the same chords for the same notes. You know what I mean? Like they can show up. So somebody from the Chicago symphony orchestra can show up to like Europe or Australia or wherever, and just like fit yeah. right in and, and do their thing. And that chances are they speak the same language. Everyone you're talking to and you and I like the guitar is like, we all come into it in a different way. Absolutely. We, we are making it up as we go along. 
And yep. so you get to hear the stories of someone making it up, you know, like Johnny Resnick's great story is that he has no, he had no idea how to tune a guitar when he bought a guitar. Right. And so he would just make up tunings, whatever sounded good. And that's why Goo Goo Dolls songs, even if they just sound like pop songs, they are dealing with some of the most complex tuning you've ever heard of because he didn't know what to do, and it, but it didn't stop him, you know? And like, we all had a different instrument, our different instruments were for like the different people we played with. You were forced to kind of figure it out yourself and everyone kind of cracked the code in a different way. Well, and I think you just cracked the code on this podcast. And what makes it so interesting to me is that that's what this podcast is about. It's talking yeah. to every different person about their journey to this instrument and their relationship to it and how how they are still navigating it, how they navigated their way to it in the first place. It's this, uh, it's almost this forensic study in a weird way right. of, of everybody's passion. And it's, it's endlessly interesting, you know? Totally. It's like a, it's a yeah. treasure map that we're all trying to get to the X, but everybody took a different way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, and everyone's story is so interesting. And you and I's journey together for 17 years, but also where we were before and me figuring that all out to, to sort of, pull your way and you pull my way so we could do the most effective thing on stage together. You know, it's all, it's all there, man. It's all there. Amen, yeah. sister. Amen, sister. I love mm -hmm. you, buddy. And I'll, uh, cool. I'll, I'll see you in Australia. I'll see you in Australia. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon, bud. Cool. And there it is. There it is. You got to hear a little bit of, uh, how the sausage is made, so to speak. A little window in our friendship, uh, man. It's going strong. 17 years, you know, in this in this world, and in, in the band, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to keep a relationship. It's it's like a marriage, as you heard him say. But with my friendship and relationship with that guy in particular, nothing's forced, nothing's strained. We get along, care about each other, we like each other. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I'm very lucky. If you got to play guitar with someone else, make sure it's somebody that you really, you really like and whose work you really admire. And I, and I've checked both of those boxes. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed him. I know I did and I do. And uh, I hope you keep listening. This is our fifth season. Jeez, I didn't get to say that up at the top, but man, fifth season. So thank you so much for coming back. We've got a bunch of really interesting things going on this season, a bunch of really cool interviews coming up, and I hope you stay tuned. I hope you keep listening. I'm going to thank the guys over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. Find out what they're doing at jimdunlop.com. Thank you guys so much for sticking by us. We've been working together for quite a while now, and I'm so happy. And I'm also going to thank the folks over at DistroKid. Find out what they're doing. They are helping guys like us, the artist, the musician, get their stuff on all the streaming platforms, Spotify, iTunes, uh, you name it. That's the Distro Kids folks helping you self-release. So find out more of what they're doing and, and check out Distro Kid. And thank you guys very much. You know, here at the end, I'm going to leave you with a wonderful example of Tim's guitar work. We got to talk about it a lot in, in this, but like I said, with Tim, it's if it's a riff that guy has written, it's never what it seems. It's never what you think you're hearing. There's always something else going on. That's why I'm such a fan of his guitar playing. And this is the intro riff to Survive. This is no exception. This is exactly what I'm talking about. So check this out for yourself. Uh, I promise you it's not what you think it is if you're trying to learn how to play it back at home. Uh, so check this out. This is Survive. This is off of the Sufferer and the Witness album. This was before I joined the band. 
you'd think I would have chosen a riff from a record that I'm on, but I got to give credit where credit's due. This is just a great riff. I've always been a fan of it. So check this riff out. Check out Rise Against. Check out Tim McElrath. And thank you once again for listening. Let's talk soon. Thank you.